Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. It's fantastic to have you listening. Um, sustainability is a really big part of what the industry needs to really focus on moving forward. Um, one of my concerns um, is that sustainability might fall by the wayside, but I wanted to make sure that I'm putting forward uh, people who are doing fantastic things about sustainability and really caring about it in our industry. So it's fantastic to have on from the UK, David Chenery, the founder and director of Object Space Place Limited, which is an architecture and design company with a focus on sustainability. David, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Sean. Um, so let's, let's talk about how you started out in the industry because an, an architecture firm and a building company having, having a focus on sustainability solely for the hospitality within the hospitality industry is a really a really specialized thing and and you put out so much great content on linkedin um around this so it's it's really a pleasure to have you on i've been really excited about having this conversation today so do you want to talk about how you started out in the industry itself sure yeah i mean it's a bit of a circuitous route i suppose i didn't get to sustainability and hospitality uh particularly quickly um when i started finishing my degree in brighton i was then drawn to the the bright lights of london like everyone looking for for work 20 odd years ago um and i started in some tiny little design office that i found on a notice board in brighton <laughs> university <laughs> and thought okay this is great move up with my girlfriend at the time and you know just make you know start making things happen mm-hmm. um i think within one week i realized it was a terrible decision because the place was just not just not the kind of place i didn't like the values of the guy that was running it the culture was not good yeah. so i think i lasted six weeks there and then spent my first Christmas in London, unemployed, signing on for, for, for benefits and trying to work out what on earth I was going to do with this degree yeah. um, and ambition and, and kind of no idea. So, but um, then I got in contact with an old tutor and I started, uh, got a two-week work placement at a place called Conran Design Group, who are quite a big company over here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, went in for two weeks and managed to stay for four years. So uh, <laughs> kind of grew to... Uh, a senior designer there working on a big mixture from you know retail projects um to some restaurants to you know stuff internationally even stuff for um shell petrol stations which is oh, wow. the opposite of sustainability yes. um but you know, <laughs> from my point of view working with kind of big clients and small clients and sort of got, kind of cut my teeth there i suppose up to a senior design level Mm-hmm. Then I went to work for a company called Colder Moore, so a lot more boutique, um, more stuff in the Middle East, more kind of um, luxury fashion department stores, and mm-hmm. again, restaurants in Lebanon, and we did some stuff in Norway, and wow. some kind of stuff all over the place. Just you know, kind of interesting design projects. Again, no real sustainability emphasis at this stage, just trying to do interesting things and learn my craft and how to mm-hmm. be a good designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of went a little off piece and I went to join Westfield, um, which obviously you guys will know a lot about, um, when they opened their new site in Stratford over here, kind of in the run up for the Olympics. So went as a design manager, saw the other side, um, you know, (laughs) kind of poacher turned gamekeeper as it were. Um, and then, uh, you know, did that for a year and a half, which was great. Um, really reinforced that I am not cut out to work for a big company. I don't like, politics i don't like inefficiency right um i just um, yeah just not no it doesn't work for me mm-hmm. does not work for me at all um so i learned a lot great contacts good some good people definitely but yeah once the development and the kind of 
the thrill of the opening of the center is done. Mm. Yeah. The day-to-day drudgery of that is not, is not really for me. So I set up um, OSP off the back of that from a few contacts I had. So I'd worked with Chipotle um, previously in the past. So they were keen that I worked with them and they were kind of keen to support me setting up. So I did a couple of sites with them and then I had a a hair salon client who again was keen to work with me. So as is the way, you know, only start a business if people are asking you to. (laughs) So um, sort of stumbled into that and that was about nine years ago. And then there's a classic, I didn't realize at the time, but there's a classic um, path for creatives and designers when we set up is we just want to do everything because we want to apply our creativity to different problems. So we did... Yeah, again, did retail, did some office work, did some stuff for landlords, did some restaurant work, you know, and didn't really do any marketing and um, just kind of aim, try to be good and have good relationships and, you know, have integrity in the way we work. And my business partner, Brendan, joined, who's an architect. So that kind of stretched our skill set in that direction. I'm more on the kind of interior architecture and branded environment side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did some residential architecture as well, because obviously we weren't doing a broad enough range. So let's, <laughs> yes. let's make it even broader. Yes. Um, and, you know, it was good. Uh, we took on one designer and another and another, and there were sort of five or six of us after a few years. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do any marketing. And we kind of thought, well, this is great. You know, this will just carry on. And that's a really good marketing plan right up until the point when it's a really bad marketing plan because you haven't, you've got no control of your destiny. And yeah. again, I realized subsequently, um, once I started getting a business coach, there's a, there's a classic spot three to five years in, particularly to a creative agency yes. where the first cycle, uh, of kind of clients comes to an end. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and, true. uh, so at that point we had to let our team go and we kind of looked after them, made sure they all had jobs and they're all doing good stuff now. So that was kind of important to us. Mm-hmm. But Brent and I just sat down and thought, right, okay, so how are we going to be in control of this? What are we going to do? Um, yeah. And we just really felt that hospitality was an area that we really enjoyed designing for. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is, A, it's a more complex challenge than something like retail because you've got more moving parts with, if we're talking about restaurants, even just you know, the kitchen, the extract, the, the, the engineering involved, plus the depth of the customer experience you get and don't have to design for is more complex than the most retail, not all, but most. Yeah. I mean, hotels are another level of complexity, obviously above a restaurant as well. Mm-hmm. And we just, um, you know, I've always been a bit of a foodie. I like going to restaurants. I like, I like, I'd rather go and eat something than buy something. So it just kind of fit quite well. And then, so we were kind of getting more and more into that world and focusing our direction and our expertise and knowledge and finding out everything we could about that. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we sort of came across um, the Sustainable Restaurant Association over here in the UK. I don't think you have them in Australia. They are in Hong Kong, but I don't yeah, think they've made it all the way across. They're, they're a brilliant organization and they're a charity. So they they basically promote sustainability within restaurants. Um, So they're looking at the social side, the food side, the the resources involved in building restaurants, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we joined them and then we've just, we've always wanted to do things the right way. It's really important to us to act kind of with integrity uh, and do things properly and not cut corners. But we just realized more and more that sustainability was this thing that we weren't really addressing properly. It was, even with our clients, it was kind of an afterthought conversation, you know, or it's a kind of nice to have. And then as soon as the commercial reality or the time pressures come, it kind of gets jettisoned as a luxury. Yes. Um, And just realizing more and more that that just doesn't work and it can't work. Um, And 
we need to be better about it as an industry and you know hospitality designers or designers in general are, you know we've, we've not been great at this we, you know there's there's a lot of other problems to solve in making a re- restaurant work really well yeah. and sustainability often can get kicked aside so over the last year or two in particular we've just really focused on sustainability we originally hoped we could influence our existing clients and you know without shouting about sustainability sort of bring it more and more into projects Mm -hmm. and then about nine months ago we realized that that's just nonsense and that doesn't work and you need to shout from the beginning to get the clients that want to work with you for making things sustainable And that's kind of where we are now. We started this research project, which we've called the Restorative Restaurant. So we're, I had a conversation with Andrew Stephen, who's the CEO of the SRA at the awards due last year. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of, he was just throwing out kind of casually this idea like, oh, I wonder what a restorative restaurant would actually look like. You know, how, how would you actually design a restorative restaurant? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a kind of quick conversation and I kind of went away and just that thought really stuck with me. And we didn't even define it at that stage, <laughs> what that was. But the idea of, for me, of a restaurant that does good. And in design terms, I kind of boiled that down to a really simple idea that can you design a restaurant that gives more than it takes in real, like real layman terms? Okay. So from a sustainability perspective, is it possible to get something that is beyond carbon neutral? Is it something that engages and gives back to its community? Yes. Is it something that doesn't generate food waste? Now, we as a designers, obviously, we're focused on the design part of that ecosystem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've just set out to try and see what we can do to design restaurants um, in that fashion. Um, and that's been quite an interesting journey so far already. Um, relatively quickly, we stumbled into the idea of circular economy. Yes. And that's when I think it really starts to get quite interesting because you then need to look at designing restaurants in an entirely different manner. I realise I've stumbled very far away from your question of how your no, career starts. No, <laughs> we've kind of got naturally into the more interesting stuff. It's not about yeah, me. Yeah, no, no, because <laughs> you, in your fantastic answer, it's allowed it's allowed me to think of many questions. So, what, like, when you focused on the sustainability part, was that the same time that you focused on the hospitality part? So, was that, was that um, like four years it, ago? It quickly, years ago? it quickly followed. Um, I'd say we focused down entirely in hospitality four years ago yes i'd say we've um it's, i guess it's been less of a switch like an on-off switch and more of a kind of gradient um of a, of a, a kind of graph going up so it's been growing and growing over the last two and a half years mm-hmm. and then i'd say yeah in January this year, we just said, we just said, nah, okay, we're just, we're just doing this a lot harder. And then COVID hit. And then we just decided, no, we're doing this even harder now. So we've just decided that we're, we're all in on the purpose of why we're doing this and, you know, nothing to lose. So let's just go all out, Um, which I think there are going to be some people who have different responses to to COVID-19. But we've taken it as a an opportunity to double down on what we think is important and really invest in innovating and developing ways of working and approach um that that put sustainability at the heart of it Mm. and frankly it's it's exciting so i'm enjoying the journey (laughs) i'm so glad you have david um if someone's to say if 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 someone's to ask you the question, what is a sustainable restaurant by design? Mm. Mm. What, 
what kind of things do you talk about? It, it's, it's, it's a, it is a fascinating question. And I think it, it really depends hugely on where you're starting your journey from. Okay. Uh, I mean, right now, um, <laughs> you could argue a sustainable restaurant is one that's going to be in business in a year's time, yeah. let, let alone the design. So I appreciate there are huge economic factors right now. Mm. Um, but I, I think I mean, another line I'm quite fond of is, you know, the most sustainable restaurant is the one that you already have. Mm. You know, so I think there's a, there's a huge principle about not starting from scratch, about yes. not throwing things away. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing that's going to come out, particularly in the UK, you know, there's there's estimates of something like 10,000 restaurants are going to go this yes. year. And in a normal year, it's 1,500 mm. um, that would go, go out of business. So there are going to be a large number of sites of a decent quality fit out. And normally the ones that fail have been underinvested and you go in there and, you know, it's horrible, they, you know, rat infested and awful. Yes. Um, but there's going to be a lot of good units here. Mm. And I think there's a huge opportunity for people coming in to take these units and not spend a huge amount of money to convert them but, and, and to adapt them into something that suits their concept. I mean, we're looking at one at the moment for a client in Chelsea and, you know, hopefully they can only spend you know, 40,000 pounds to convert this coffee shop into their brand and because the operational heart is there. Um, so I think there are huge opportunities to think intelligently about going in and not just stripping out a site. I mean, some operators have done this for a while anyway, because economically, you know, it's easy to justify to the finance director because because the number in the bottom right of the spreadsheet is lower. Um, But so I think that there's that principle of using, you know, not not starting from scratch, which is massively important. The only caveat I would have to that is it is just as important that whatever space you take completely delivers on the DNA of your brand experience. Because if you take an old site and you don't spend much money on it and you just sort of open up and it looks very similar to the old site, Mm -hmm. the signals, the psychological signals you're giving to customers, whether they can express it and articulate or not, is very bad because it says... I, you know, we don't want to invest money in this. We're cutting corners. We, yeah. We, exactly. And, and I think there's this question, I mean, I'm increasingly fascinated by behavioral science and behavioral economics. And there's a great book. Um, well, there's a couple actually. There's one called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. And then there's one called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just have these fantastic examples about how, I mean, we all know this, human beings are irrational. We are not yes. rational beings. We don't make logical decisions. We make emotional, instinctive ones. Yes. Um, Rory Sutherland gives this great example of driving past a local coffee shop in his area. And the two previous operators have both failed, mm-hmm. right, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. This third guy's come in and he's like, okay, hopefully this guy will do pretty well. And he drives past one day and he sees that he's bought all this like new, really nice patio furniture to sit outside on the street and he's got these nice barriers and planting and every day he's setting this stuff up and he has to take it in every night it's completely impractical but this guy does really well he's really successful he's he's doing really good and and Rory's conclusion is I bet one of the massive things there is you look at him setting up this unnecessarily good quality inviting welcoming furniture outside and you think if he cares that much about his furniture and the effort of putting that out and taking it in every day, yeah. I bet he does good coffee. Yeah. And I think in, in, and in that, in that signal, mm. it is, there's so much 
there's so much wisdom about how to to kind of create a great hospitality business. So the, so if you go in and, and you, there are local people, obviously, who go past your site and they know it was a previous coffee shop mm. and you open it as a new one, but it looks really the same and some of that you've kept a lot of the furniture and nothing's moved around. You've just sort of changed the signage. The signal is, oh, okay. Um, they're kind of looking new, but they're really not. So I wonder what else is going on behind the scenes. Yes. I wonder if their coffee's any good. Or yes. I wonder if... I wonder if they make that food fresh themselves or if they get it in. Mm. So, so I think it's essential that if you do take on a site in that way, that you do look at how it completely complements your brand DNA and what you're, you know, what you are about and, and the experience you're trying to create for your customers. So, uh, so yeah, don't start from scratch, but <laughs> make sure it's in tune with your brand DNA. Um, and then beyond that, you've got a lot more, um, in-depth considerations. Um, so some of them are easier for more rational-minded people to think of. So energy efficiency is obviously always good because it reduces your operating costs. So things like LED lighting, um, using you know low-flush toilets and you know aerators on the taps and waterless urinals and things that reduce your operational expenditure and then you can look at how long they take to pay back i've got a pdf actually that um hammerson a, a shopping center developer over here put together where they looked at over a five-year period how long it would take to pay back for a um for a restaurant if they invested in different technologies so if anyone wants that let me know and i'll yeah. i can share it's quite interesting because some of them like you know led lighting pays back in you know six months but yes. then if you want to try and put a heat exchanger on your kitchen extract that will then power the heating, even more like four years. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to kind of look at it from that perspective and break it down into sometimes more bite-sized chunks. Um, so yeah, those would be my top three initial hits, but I see you're poised with more questions. I am poised with more questions. Um, good pick up. Um, why, do you think, why do you think hospitality owners are so bad at retrofitting restaurants? Because... My, my biggest concern moving out of this is probably what you just talked to is the fact that there, there might be some money that, that comes back into the industry for, um, for good operators, but because they just want to go back to what they were doing before, they'll completely strip out a venue and then redo mm. it again um, because they think it won't, won't work. Do you think they just think it's too hard? or uh, I think um, there's, a, there's certainly a component of not knowing any different. Mm. And there is definitely a component of um, convenience and ease. I mean, we've even started looking at this. So we've um, we've got a client we're about to start on. It's like a social supermarket in uh, in Wakefield, okay. um, and there's this. They're called the Real Junk Food Project, and they basically take waste food from supermarkets and Nando's and people like that over here, and then they redistribute that. You know, I think last year they did. They gave away like a million meals. They're a charity. It's fantastic, wow. and they want to create this. Um, I say social supermarket, but social shouldn't really be in there because it's not about. Um, it's not about poverty. It's about sustainability. They want to end food waste. You could turn up in your Maserati and, and pay mm. 10 pounds for you know a huge amount of food. They don't care as long as you're not wasting the food. But there's this, this site we want to look at. With, we're looking at with them and it's you know, four and a half thousand square foot. And it used to be this old convenience, convenience store. And they left in the dead of night and it looks like a war zone, like you know, something out of Beirut or something. But his part of his brief for our design is he wants no skips on site. Nothing can go 
to landfill, no skips. So wow. in the construction, no waste. So we're sitting there thinking, okay, that's really interesting, possibly impossible, but how do we do that? So as designers, we've now de- we're developing as part of our restorative restaurant piece a whole approach to strip out before we before we even look at design. So the first thing is you do an audit. You walk around and go, right, what can we reuse here, either in its current form mm-hmm. or what can we do creatively? Um, you know, so we found these old um, bread display crates that we can turn into seating at some point. You know, so you're kind of doing an audit like that. And then you then need to look at, right, okay, what is the actual strategy for dealing with the stuff that doesn't fit our brand DNA? Because we shouldn't just reuse it for the sake of it. Sure. Um, we're lucky there because with that charity, there's a lot of funding coming in from the arts, local arts studio institute there. Mm-hmm. So we can say, hey, right, here's half a ton of waste. Can you make an interesting sculpture that talks about food waste so so we've got we can have a creative outlet to deal with that way but if you don't you then need to look at um how you can keep any waste you're getting rid of at the highest value possible value Mm -hmm. so can you sell it or give it to a charity can you can it be um dismantled and recycled at the same level so stainless steel recycled into stainless steel yes then you know then you're going down the less good ones. so it's can it be downcycled which if you turn bricks into rubble and aggregate and it goes into the roads Mm-hmm. Not so good because it's going down the value chain. Right. And then finally, you're down to things like incineration for energy recovery, which is really not great. And I'm not even going to say landfill because not, nothing should be going to landfill. Um, so the easy, the easy solution would be you turn up at the site, you phone a waste contractor who says, yeah, I will deal with 100% of your waste here. Here's the bill. It'll be done in a week. Our, our version is going to potentially take a bit longer and be more work for us. So that is why most people don't do it. So our, what we're trying to do, particularly with the restorative restaurant, is start to set up these frameworks and ways of working that we're going to share as a model that people can then can then use. Because the problem is, you know, is one that's not going to go away. It's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about sustainability as a sort of um, a buzzword or a trend for 2019. Is it going to go away? Yes. And my point is, well, it's less of a trend and more of a realization. <laughs> it's not it's not like awakening, isn't it yeah it's it's like you know this tsunami wave is coming towards us and the problem with sustainability and climate change is that it's a very slow motion car crash so it's hard you can't see the signs it's not as tangible as covid19 in the you know the world has stopped um it, it's just more and more growing signs um so I think it is going to be interesting. So yeah, our, our goal is to try and create this design framework way of working that's, that starts with this approach to strip out. And then there are lots of other things after that, which we can talk about, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that we need to avoid going in and, and throwing things yeah. in the skip. <laughs> it's, you, it's just not going to work. Do you wish every client gave you the same, you know, same brief? No um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it is hard. It is. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard. I mean, we're, we're going to be putting in more effort and time than we're going to get paid for to try and solve these problems. Yes. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I guess if everyone gave us that, then it would be challenging to stay in business. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think, I don't know, we just, it's kind of a mission for us now. And I kind of think it's important that we can do it. And that's why we're looking to, you know, share as much as we can and, and, and meet with more like-minded people mm-hmm. and kind of push the agenda forward. 
Um, it's, <laughs> there's an interesting side um, point I found is the good thing about working with people who care about sustainability is that they almost automatically seem to not be an asshole, which is quite, enjoy- it's quite an enjoyable way to filter clients. Maybe that's why I'm not an asshole. That's good. <laughs> well, there's obviously, there's obviously something about someone with a, with, who can do something with a long-term lack of self-interest that naturally yeah. means they're, they're a good human. I'm not saying if you don't care about sustainability, you, you are an asshole. Yeah. It's just you know, the other way around, the other correlation does, does work. Um, so. <laughs> do you think... Um, like my thinking is that we'll, uh, regards of rentals for, for restaurants and cafes that instead of, you know, um, five on five year leases or, you know, five on seven year leases or whatever, we're going to yeah. get, we're going to get a lot of 12 month leases or two year leases mm-hmm. on sites, um, either to end out leases or just because, um, uh, just because people will be le- less risky. Right. Yeah. Do you think, do you think because of that, David, that, you know, sustainability is, is going to be put to the side a bit because they, you know, a person who was doing a five on five year lease will really think about that design and will really think about how it looks and feels and the, and the, mm-hmm. and the impact on sustainability and the impact on the environment. But now a shorter lease term and a, maybe a lesser investment because of that, they won't care about sustainability or do you think? Um, I, I don't think they will be linked. I think it comes down to someone's own philosophy and way of working. I don't think you have to have a lot of money to do things sustainably. I mean, most people I see who, who, who start doing things sustainably do it with very little money. Um, you know, the whole, the whole trend for using secondhand furniture and, uh, you know, where that old, that, that old industrial aesthetic came from was from people who were looking to reuse things they could find rather than buy things from, you know, fancy showrooms and designers. Um, so no, I don't think it's linked. And I actually do think that what we're looking at is when you understand the principles of circular economy a lot more, you realize that the way things have to be designed needs to change. Mm-hmm. And actually there are a couple of aspects of that, which are really important and could really help with someone doing something for a shorter term. Yes. Number one, you need to design things with their end of life in mind. So if we design a counter, a piece of joinery that goes in, we need to design that in such a way that it can be taken apart at the end of its life and recycled or used in other ways. Because there's no point if you specify an 80% recycled countertop that's a beautiful material, but you glue it to a piece of plywood, yeah. then you, you can't salvage those materials at the end and, and you're creating these kind of monstrous hybrids that, that are going to have to be incinerated or you know whatever lowest common denominator waste strategy you have so so we're looking at ways of how can we design things that can be taken apart easily and then you also look at a part of that is how do you design spaces flexibly you know how do you design things so that if in five years time or two years time a restaurant develops a more hybrid business model where they want to do um, part of the space as a co-working space or yes. they've just they've been brought in this new cuisine type and they want to add you know, bits on or adjust things mm. the design should be able to adopt that without you know chucking out a load of stuff that was there or you know or, or creating all this disruptive sort of waste of, of energy and resources by throwing away the previous stuff or mm. it needs to allow for that 
change of use. You know, again, we're talking to one um, kind of chef client at the moment, and we're looking at how we can how we can divide spaces in a way that can adjust, whether that's through, you know, high level curtain tracks that that just get an acoustic, you know, kind of baffling between spaces, or can you create partition walls that can actually be put up and put down? So you've got a more kind of physical barrier. There's a slight challenge we're looking at how you do that with a fire fire rated wall, but these are all the technical problems that we're try, trying to solve at the moment to try and see how we can do that. I mean, I always used to think, Five years ago, if you talked to me about flexibility in design, I would have kind of winced a little bit. Um, I always argued that the more flexibility you try and build in, the more generic the solution ends up being. So, I, you know, if, if you're trying to design a penknife, it's going to look something like a penknife, you know, because it's trying to do 12 things. Uh, it, it's all going to look the same. But yeah. I've my view on that has kind of flipped 180 degrees now because I just think it is it is just essential that we have to design things. That doesn't mean everything has to be endlessly flexible, yes. but what level of flexibility do we need to design in? In, in the front of house seating areas, it, you know, a booth seat is a, can be a really lovely thing. You can do some great designs with that, mm. but how, how are they going to come apart? How are they going to be adjustable? Can we do something where that can be shifted <laughs> rather than just being this fixed lump um, yes. that yeah. can't be adjusted? Yeah. So I think designing for disassembly, designing for end of life, um, genuine flexibility in the design layout are both key things that help sustainability and will help restaurants operate. Yeah. I mean, particularly in that climate. You know, I think there's, there's certainly an idea as well for almost thinking of a design as kind of squatting or inhabiting a space for a couple of years. You can do something. It depends again on your brand DNA. If you are a high-end fine dining restaurant, then you <laughs> to be successful, which is important because, mm-hmm. and I don't belittle that at all. When you, one of the most sustainable things you can do is still be in business in 10 years time, yes. you know, because no matter what you've done, if you fail because you put the wrong concept in the wrong location, someone's still got to spend time and money and effort and energy and resources adjusting that or throwing it out. Um, but so you need to adjust for that. But if you are a cool, trendy, you know, coffee shop concept or something that is not on that kind of luxury side of things, mm. there's just no reason that you, you need to make things as kind of fixed and, uh, and, and difficult to work with as, as, as that, as the old stuff. How are you guys? Um, how are you guys making sure um, that what your what your embedded starting goal is is to is to make sure that different parts of the fit out are being able to broken apart, being able to be flexible and, and that kind of yeah. Thing. How, I mean, how, to are be... you, how are you able to make sure that at the end of that contract, when that when that brand stops, that those kind of things yeah. are actually done? I think it's a hugely important point. I mean, that's how you complete the circle. Mm. Um, The honest answer is we haven't got to the point where we're dealing with that yet. Right. Um, So, so we're the projects we're working on now in their kind of conceptual stage to kind of look at doing that. We, we still need to develop the strategies for how that's going to be done. Mm. I mean, it's, it's obvious for us that that will take the form. A, you need to make sure you've got the right contractor involved. Yes. You know, someone who's got to actually understand and, and be on board with this um, and pay service to it and, and know that from the outset, this is going to be more difficult. <laughs> We're yeah. asking you to do stuff. Um, 
you've got to have a client that's on board with it because they've got to know that they've got to do the deal with this. Um, and then it's going, to, it's going to take the form of um, a kind of extended O&M's manual. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's going to just say, here's the materials um, in the site. Here's, um, you know, the, the drawings for stuff. Here's, you know, the components and here's how you take them apart. Um, there is long term that, that that is too manual a system. But the problem at the moment is none of these systems exist really across yeah, any kind of scale completely creating new aren't you yeah yeah so long term there are there's an interesting app over here called loop cycle which is just starting and, and they're about to focus on the hospitality industry okay. and the whole idea with them is based on the circular economy is how can they connect waste resources that people are trying to get rid of say i don't know um, 10 cable, uh, 10 tons of steel cable or you know, scrap wood or whatever it is. How can they, how can they connect those with people that can manufacture things from them and take them as an input piece? Yeah. Um, and within that, one of the things that they're looking at is the, something within the circular economy called the idea of a digital material passport that you can actually then start to look at. Again, this is not done at the moment. Mm. You could start to look at how you almost embed um information within a material so that yeah so it becomes a more effortless um process of tracking but at the moment yeah that that circle doesn't exist and you're reliant on manual processes and humans caring so what we're trying to do particularly now is because we're right at the front end of this really um is trying to show that we can develop these ecosystems and make them work And then our journey is then obviously to try and start scaling those up and working bigger and bigger, um, you know, with more people. Um, So separately, we're also trying to set up a kind of networking group in London where we're going to try and bring together anyone that's interested in sustainable design and hospitality. So suppliers that want to do things. So I was talking to a furniture supplier the other day that wants to look at moving from selling furniture to leasing it. But the idea being that if the restaurant goes bust or they want to change the furniture, the supplier has to go back and take that furniture and then they can reupholster it or they can dismantle it and turn it into something else. But because they are responsible for it, they will then design that in a different way because manufacturers will then be incentivized to design things to be durable, to be able to come apart because it will be in their interest because these things are no longer waste when they leave the door. That, that's a valuable resource mm. with with everything, you know, the wood, the leather, the, <laughs> everything in there is a reusable component. So you yes. think about it in a different way. I mean, I'm actually kind of fascinated by the idea. I wonder if there is an end goal where entire shop fits are leased. I mean, I wonder if there is a model where great. rather than a restaurateur paying, I don't know, 300,000, 400, 500,000 pounds for, for a fit out, do they pay x thousand pounds a month and then maintenance is included mm. you know annual um annual refresh <laughs> include you know you, you could see a model there Absolutely. that would be more sustainable and in some ways you could you know i can imagine that the, the economics for that could work both ways i mean the idea of a subscription economy you know drip feeding money regular cash flow um and then minimum upfront capex costs for a restaurant as well i'm sure there'll be all kinds of contractual challenges around yeah. what happens if they fail minimum term all that sort of stuff but an idea, an idea 
Mm. Yeah, as an idea, I think it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, and it would seem, you know, I'm curious to know if we can get there. But that, I mean, that's kind of what we're looking at is how we can create these, this way of working that throws up different approaches to design. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of our journey at the moment. Um, it's interesting because I think one of the, one of the challenges I think with sustainability so far, this is slightly not related to that, but adjacent yeah. point. Mm-hmm. One thing I see since most sustainability is still talked about in only two, two ways. One is the moral argument. You should yes. be doing this because you yes. need to save the planet. And the other one is the kind of rational, logical argument that, you know, you can save money. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just logically the right thing to do. because yeah, it it mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I think so far, everything has missed a trick because if, as we know, anyone that works in, you know, with customers and human beings, we need to appeal to people's baser instincts and emotions. Yeah. So what we need to do is create designs and restaurants that make sustainability a status symbol that make it people want to share it on instagram because it's cooler than the other stuff yeah (laughs) i just think that that if we can do that if we can shift the narrative around sustainability and make it this um desirable um say status driven um, exercise then i think we'll actually get a lot more traction as well and I think actually, you know, restaurants and hospitality is well placed to try and make that dent because, you know, people love people to eat out, you know, people love being in those environments. They are kind of can be quite theatrical. Mm. Um, you know, it's a place to take your friends and socialize. So it does seem to me like like hospitality is particularly well placed to contribute to making sustainability this desirable sort of sexy symbol yeah i think i think you're absolutely right it's i mean it's gonna it's gonna change somehow right because we're obviously gonna have dining as lesser part of the turnover right Mm -hmm. um so so therefore you need less furniture and less less space potentially potentially um um you know spaces that might might have had one vendor before will have two vendors and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that i'll be interested to see what happens over the next 12 months especially my real question to you, and you probably answered it in that answer, but do you think government legislation is going to push this along anymore? Or do you think it's purely going to be market driven to want to be doing the right thing to, to know that's really important? I mean, that's, yeah. That, I mean, that's a really interesting point. And I actually don't know if I, if I'm wise enough to know the answer. I mean, my general thought with government legislation is that it's a bit of a, blunt instrument um you know try like trying to get people to um eat less sugar by by putting a sugar tax tax. on fizzy drinks and stuff i I just don't know if that's you know it's more of a a stick than a carrot Uh, and i I just think that we want to create a kind of culture of businesses that are kind of pulling people along by inspiring them um i mean that's just that's just the way i the way i see it um so i think you will get more natural impact by the market doing things and someone coming out and being standout successful by putting that at the center of their business Mm -hmm. and then people will go oh okay well maybe we could do that Mm. uh i mean i'm not massively in favor and kind of trying to bolt on 
purpose and sustainability to to a business but but i think anything that's making it better has got to be good for the debate um yeah it's just whether you get far enough with that i mean (laughs) with sustainability the, the problem with a lot of it is that you end up making things just a bit less bad rather than genuinely good and i think that's what we're trying to get to is can we get to something that is genuinely genuinely good um you know it's all well and good taking out you know single use plastics um but if you're still you know wasting a load of energy because you're hugely inefficient or you're throwing away food because you're not dealing with it properly or you're serving a hugely meat heavy menu with you know huge carbon emissions associated with it yeah. um it, it doesn't doesn't really doesn't really stack up um, together. it can't be just one thing right yeah i think so um you know and i completely think everyone i, I also don't think there's a case it's funny because i sound like i'm a, a real huge advocate for sustainability but but at my core i'm actually quite stoical in my beliefs you know i don't think anyone should or shouldn't you know get involved in in, in making things more sustainable mm. um and i am i optimistic about whether we'll we'll be sustainable in the future as a as a, as a planet I, I don't know i mean the only thing i do know is that we will end up with the planet we deserve um as a result of all of our actions um and i'm just keen to try and nudge that in the right direction as much as i as much as i can so i can look my kids in the eye and say i did do something I did make a difference. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple more questions before I let you go, uh, David. Um, obviously, you know, um, social distancing and, and, and changes to people per, uh, per square meter each uh, square feet, whatever, wherever you're listening to, um, uh, across the world at the moment is changing layouts of, of restaurants and where customers can sit. Um, I've noticed here, uh, for a safety perspective, a lot of plastic going in a lot of perspex mm. going in in order to break up spaces to make them yeah um, to make them safe are you are you concerned that that is happening even though it's 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 what some people feel they need to do from a health concern yeah, definitely but, uh, it's natural i mean i say you know people are trying to make their businesses survive and it's natural to go to think to short term and try and make stuff happen and and spend the least amount of money to 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 operate right i mean that's um, you know, I wouldn't think badly of anyone necessarily for doing that, but yes, overall it is a challenge. Uh, we, we did a, a webinar actually for the Sustainable Restaurant Association. I think I think the PDF for it's on our website in our blog if anyone wants to have a look. But we had a quick look to see how can you do um, social distancing measures in a way that is more sustainable. Mm. So. Again, if you think from a sustainability point of view, you should be designing for disassembly. Yes. <laughs> you should be designing end of life in mind. So what are you going to do with this stuff when you're finished? Mm. Um, but if even if you have to go, you know, and again, step back, any social distancing measures that go in need to feel part of your brand DNA. They need to feel part of your experience. Ultimately, social distancing is just health and safety on steroids. And you don't let the other health and safety in your restaurant ruin your customer experience. So why would you let these ones do that? It doesn't make any sense. I went to a place called the Pig Hotel here recently at the weekend. And it's easier because they're you know, a hotel, they've got lovely grounds, there's more space around it. But everything they've done was, was just so perfect for them. You know, they had some of the 
screens were just built out of plant pots that they had <laughs> and it was just completely on brand for the, for them um and just it felt like a very considered experience mm-hmm. um but if you if you aren't going to go down that route of using reclaimed windows or or anything else to go in and you're just going for s- simpler materials you can still be more sustainable even if you choose acrylic you can get I think there's a material called Greencast, which is a 100% recycled acrylic as opposed to a virgin acrylic. Well, that's yes. a better choice to begin with. Yes. Even if you use, you know, vinyl, vinyl signage, stickers everywhere, telling everyone to, you know, wash their hands and everything and stand here, don't stand there. You can get PVC-free recyclable vinyl as opposed to kind of basic vinyl. So, yeah. so there are ways. I mean, I think that vinyl is like 30% more expensive, um, certainly in the UK. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how much is a final sticker cost it's not yeah. huge bucks. um so so there, so there are certainly ways to do it if someone just again takes a bit of time to think about it or engages a designer that um you know can help them do that mm-hmm. um so but yeah it is a concern i think as we're seeing you know the, the piles of face masks washing up on the beaches around the world there's going to be a lot of of acrylic <laughs> that, that is yeah. uh on the scrap heap after this, you know, maybe that's in the circular economy, the idea there is no waste. Maybe that is then just a huge resource for someone. If someone can collect all that up, is there something interesting that can be done with it? Um, but I'm kind of interested in the idea with, with those, the kind of the COVID-19 measures that can you design them in a way where they become something else afterwards? Yes. You know, is it a planter with a screen that then becomes part of a seating arrangement afterwards or mm-hmm. are there, are there different ways of doing it? Um, yeah. In some cases not. But I just think it's interesting to ask those questions. Um, yeah, because sometimes there is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole nature of creativity, isn't it? It's just trying to see around corners. So sometimes there's something that isn't obvious that can that can do something special. And then because you've done something special, your customers will go, oh, look, they really tried. I bet yes. their coffee's good. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Um, uh, David, my last question before I let you go, what I've been asking a lot of my guests of recent times is... Yes. What, what's the one thing that you were doing before COVID happened that you can't do it at the moment that you're really looking forward to getting back to? Um, I would say, um, yeah, it's got to be the, the big dinner out with lots of friends, isn't it? I mean, yeah. over here, two households internally at the moment are allowed out. Right. Um, I took my, my fiance for her 40th birthday and we managed to find a space, a kind of garden space in a posh hotel in London so it was outside, so we could have sort of three households, but I wanted to do a bigger thing, but kind of couldn't. I mean, it was lovely in the end, but um, yeah, that that feels like a a restraint. And that is, you know, the core of being human, isn't it? Is that, that socialising yeah. freely, <laughs> the freedom yes. of that. So yes. I've got back to some of the everyday, the coffee here and there, um, you know, going to restaurants and seeing what they're doing. But yeah, the... The, the freedom to socialize on uh, on mass with with kind of friends around a table that's mm-hmm. definitely the yeah I totally agree um david today's been a really good chat i've really learned a lot and i i do appreciate your time i, I look forward no to problem. more conversations um yeah happy to what, share what's what's the best way that people can find out about um osp and everything you're doing in the uk um, well, I guess company-wise, yeah, we've got objectspaceplace.com. Um, the blog on there is is quite active, so we're we're putting stuff up there. A lot of articles around designing for sustainability. Um, also, some 
some concepts we came up with during lockdown for designing restaurants around COVID-19. So we came up with entire restaurant concepts, one called Alone Together and one called Antisocial, oh, wow. uh, which, are, which were kind of designed to sort of inspire people and, and take the whole negativity around social distancing and say, no, no, let's do something cool with it. So the one's a fine dining restaurant um, based where um, the whole social distancing becomes this positive idea of privacy. Um, mm-hmm. So it's the luxury of privacy. And then antisocial is a kind of coffee shop where, you know, in a city center, you, you weren't going to talk to anyone anyway. So it's fine. We can just make that quite cool. Um, so <laughs> to check this out, amongst other things, um, or LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, just, just David Chenery, uh, just, just find me on there. Happy to Beautiful. connect. Um, and as always um, linked up in the show notes so David thanks so much for your time I do appreciate it alright thanks Sean